Hello, everybody. Welcome to Jazz Talk Seattle. This is our October episode. And my name is Max, and I'm here with... Josh Howe. And our special guest this month is vocalist Jacqueline Tabor, who is a shining star in the Seattle jazz and vocal scene. Uh, She's been nominated for a bunch of Earshot Awards. She's won Vocalist of the Year 2012 and 2018. Uh, and 19 and 19 Ooh, sorry 19 and yeah i knew there's some of those years <laughs> i have the privilege of playing with her time to time and it's really cool to have her with us today so welcome jacqueline well thank you for having me yeah um so we're just going to kind of talk about you um starting at the beginning so you're from bellevue what initially got you involved with music from the get-go well, I my I had a sister who had a big like Patty LaBelle voice, <clears throat> so it was kind of one of those things where everybody was in the choir. My parents were friends with the choir director, Mr. Jack Holm, who is still around and still playing music. And um, so I kind of was always in the shadow of my sister's voice. So I didn't really, really like sing, sing, but I was in the jazz choir and everything else, and then. Uh, my grandmother heard me sing in like in the laundry room and kind of like outed me. And, you know, I still kind of kept it to myself. And so I went off to college and I did some singing. um, But honestly, like, you know, the real story is I, with my first husband, I had a business and the radio would be on and people would walk in because we had a pizza business and people would hear me sing and, you know, that's is why he's my ex-husband is because he was just like, oh, you can't sing. <clears throat> so then I went Ooh. to a really big <laughs> church, like a big, big church with the, like a mass choir with the, like, one of those like serious gospel uh, choirs. And I lived in Louisiana. So you can you can understand like the caliber of choir and they could yeah. hear me. They could hear me from, you know, being out you know, with everybody else and they'd beg me to do it. And, you know, it's one of those things where I wish I had the opportunity to have done it. But here's the little tea is that in my teenage years, I decided to be Pentecostal um, against all of my family's wishes because we are spiritualist. And so about three, four years, I was like a devout Christian and I went to church three or four times a week and I wore a skirt and no makeup. in Seattle and I went to a church in Seattle and, but I learned call and response, rhythm, improvising. Um, and so I learned a lot of things on the fly just because I was there and could hold a note. Um, so, you know, it all started, but then I moved back to Seattle years later, bad marriage, two kids, yada, yada, yada. And my sister thought somebody was, had the radio on and it was me in the shower. Whoa. And, she, so we were both single at the time and we were going out and I was at Thompson's point of view, if, you, if anybody's old enough to remember that place. And she'd tell everybody, let my sister sing. And I didn't know any songs. So I would write songs. So I'd write blue songs, which Max knows very well. I can just throw lyrics on <laughs> my head. So that's kind of what happened. And then um, I met Andrean Wilson, who was kind of doing the very similar thing that like Greta Matassa or Kelly Johnson or like mm-hmm. Hans Bremer with the workshop things. And I started doing that and I did my first gig at Tula's and 
you know, then I went on the stranger like every other decent, you know, musician and found a band and became a wedding singer. Um, not really. Uh, there was good, good and bad. And, you know, at about six or seven years of doing that, I decided to, you know, break up the band and do my own thing. And I was fortunate to have won the Kobe and then have to release an album. And I was kind of the beginning of my journey. So, you know, the small and the short is it's been an up and down, arduous, you know, weird rectangle that I have been working in. But um, I kind of learned from the hard way and not like the fun way. And I'm not, um, I didn't go to Cornish or anything like that, but I took a lot of workshops. Anybody who came into town who did a workshop, like Mimi Fox, the guitar player, uh-huh. I've had lessons with her. I consider her a mentor. Um you know, anybody who was here would teach me something I was willing to learn. So that's kind of how I got started. It's uh, it's kind of a hodgepodge. I, you know, at the time I was also, you know, when I first started gigging, I was pregnant with my daughter. I had two small boys and I was working full time at the city. So um, that's That's kind of, I juggle, I juggle and sing, I guess you could say. So the, the Kobe thing uh, sounds like a significant maybe turning point. A little bit. Um, is that accurate? You think? I, I would absolutely say that. I think. Um, so tell us about about what that was first of all. Uh, so the Kobe. That. So the Kobe Sister Asso- Sister Association is um, a program that does a trade off, and it's been here about fifteen or sixteen years. And what happens is, you go to Jazz Alley, and there's a an adult vocalist that wins, and a teenager from high school. And then they go to Japan and perform. At that performance, there's also a competition of Japanese vocalists. And that winner comes back and gets to perform at Jazz Alley. So it's an exchange. Uh, It's been going on. It it is very cool. Uh, At that time, I'd never been, well, I still haven't been to a foreign country since then. But um, it was a turning point for Remax. That's completely correct because I... Uh, am a little bit of a pessimist and I just was happy that I was going to have pictures at Jazz Alley and um, <laughs> and I was going to sing standards and I just wanted a pretty dress and get my makeup on and I was content with that and then I kind of realized it was very serious and I was fortunate that the first time I competed that I actually won. So What, what year was that? That was 2012. Wow, that's super exciting. So, so oh, we talked a little bit about how you got involved in singing in general with choirs and stuff, but what attracted you? Uh, what attracted you to jazz and and blues specifically? Well, blues came later, but jazz. Honestly, somebody gave me a tape. Yes, I said T A P E, a tape. <laughs> uh, cassette is what we really called it then. But somebody gave me a Nancy Wilson. Uh, guess who I saw today? Mm. And. Um, you know, and I was already an odd kind of teenager. I was listening to Luther Vandross or Ohio Players or, you know, I wasn't listening to any rap music or anything. Um, not intentionally wasn't, you know, it was just one of those things. It wasn't my jam. So somebody gave me that. And I remember thinking to myself, hey, at the time, Nancy Wilson was wearing pants and I don't know if you all realize, like, that was a big deal. She was one of the first women vocalists to, like, wear pants on stage. Um, 
And that seems, and it seems so small. I'm saying this now thinking it's not a big deal, but I remember it being a big deal. (laughs) And, um, you know, the, the rumor in my family is that one of my uncles dated Nancy Wilson. I don't know if that's true or not, but it was a, a, a urban tale told in my family. So, you know, <laughs> she just always was so regal and beautiful, but she was a master storyteller. And I think that's kind of what got me intrigued with blues and, um, and the, and, and blues and, and jazz. But later on, the blues, the blues is funny because I hated the blues for a very, 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 very long time. I oh, didn't want to hear it. I didn't like it. I thought it was slow. I didn't like it. And then I lived down south and this lady told me, she says, well, you have to listen to the blues because it tells you the truth. And if you're not ready to hear the truth, you're not ready to hear the blues. And I was like, whatever, you know, lady. And then I started listening <laughs> to it. You know, I was like, whatever, lady. But honestly, it's it was something I really fought. Um, and it was until um, the third album that I had with Max and the 200 Trio. And I had to write my own song. And one of my really good friends, who I refer to as a unicorn, uh, said, I don't know why you're fighting something that naturally comes out of you. And it, I had to really do a lot of soul searching about why I didn't want to sing in a way which naturally was my style. So yeah. that's kind of like the beginning of letting, and I, people probably thought I was doing it already, but I wasn't aware of it. So that's how I kind of got into the jazz and the blues. That's awesome. Wow. So you've described yourself as a standard singer uh, to me, to a bunch of people you've played for, uh, but you've also written some of your own songs. Um, is that changing at all? Would you say? Uh, no, I, I, you know, I'm, well, right now, I, you know, I've, I've written one song. I'm in the midst of writing two more songs uh, with Marina Alberto, and they're more about, like, rituals, like the end of the year, not Christmas or anything like that, but, like, harvest in that kind of era. Um, I'm working on something called My Retrograde. Uh, which is, I believe, a Mercury retrograde, and I have crystals in my house, and I smudge, and I manifest. I do all that, and I have all my friends who I go to their house, they have crystals in their window. It's a whole thing. Um, And then I'm kind of uh, writing a song called um, When I See Your Face Again, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of about, you know, when we don't have to wear a mask and how much I miss seeing somebody's face. And uh, That's nice. So, uh, you know, I'm in the midst of that, but I still love the standards. Max knows I love a standard love, love, love. Um, <laughs> I love, you, you know it. I love it. I don't care. I don't care if it's all of me. I'm going to wear that song out. I love it. Um, there's just so many good songs. There's so many songs I don't know. And so it's still an adventure to me. Um, I hope I'm like, 80 and still hearing a song I've never heard, you know, it's, that's for me, that's the fun. That's the exploration of doing music. Definitely. I hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> Actually it's nice transition into another thing. So you, you mentioned you're working on a new project uh, called don't explain speaking of standard song titles. <laughs> um, and the quote that I have is 
that it's a theatrical work in progress that presents a powerful story through song and dialogue between Billie Holiday and Nina Simone. The audience's favorites, Aver and Alberto, create a space of intimate connection between Billie's brave act of performing Strange Fruit in 1939 and Nina's act of singing Missouri Goddamn in 1964. And then it says that this is the second reintegration of the project that will contain soul-revealing arrangements. Today, their voices are echoed stronger than ever before as our society faces a turning point on the civil rights movement. And that is absolutely true. <laughs> but I was hoping you could maybe just kind of give us a little bit more info on this. Yeah, okay. so Marina lives seven minutes away from me. And um, after the quarantine sessions and after things got really, really locked down, um, her kids were at home. My husband, you know, we're all in this house. There's five of us in this house and my house isn't super big. So we kind of started bubbling together. Um, that's what we call it, where at, our families have kind of come together and said, it's okay for us to be in each other's house. Mm-hmm. And it was more, it started off more just for mental health. Um, and then there was a point after, you know, a couple of beers and late nights that we were like, okay, <laughs> let's set up a weekly rehearsal and no parameters. Like, we're just going to rehearse. So then it kind of turned in, oh, we should do Nina. We should do a tribute, blah, blah, blah. You know, so timely, everything's happened. George Floyd had been murdered, you know, so it was feeling you know, like we needed to send this message. And then, you know, for me as a, a black woman in my age, in the stage of this country, just doing Nina is an enormous amount of pressure. Ancestrally, it's a lot of pressure. So we were like, won't we bring Billy in? Because I had just done the orchestra tribute to Billy Holiday. And mm-hmm. what we found out is that, you know, their, their real birth names are both start with the letter E, which is Eleanor and Eunice. Um, yeah. And so once we kind of delved into it, that both of them kind of had traumatic things that happened at the age of eight. Um, I also myself had something traumatic happen to me at the age of eight. So it was kind of, uh, very soul searching, very deep, very heavy, but also out of trauma comes, you know, life and love and, you know, breath. And so, you know, it's interesting how many songs Nina covered of Billy's um, and how mm-hmm. she deconstructed them. And that, you know, most people only know that Billie Holiday did Strange Fruit and that Nina Simone did Strange Fruit. Um, so it's kind of turned into this thing where we wanted it to be more theatrical. And because Marina is from Spain and there they do more backdrops and settings and that there's dialogue that... Um, we've just turning into something. So we did an, a, the original, the first one at town hall for the sustainers for KNKX back in August. And then a new one will be coming out October 6th um, for the Bellevue jazz festival. And that's just a duo with us. And um, we're saying this is a work in progress uh, because we don't know where it's going to go. And we just want to find out and go with this journey. So it's, it's just interesting to perform this music um, and that still everything that Nina and Billy were saying is it's true and spot on, unfortunately, to this day. Um, 
And, you know, Max knows this has been a new journey for me to sing things that are more vulnerable, uh, more Afrocentric. Um, it's a big risk for me personally. I feel like I've been playing it safe and um, I feel like I need to step out and let my voice be heard through song. Um, I have a very, I have very strong opinions. And so it is best that I use um, songs versus my words. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, I'm excited to get to check that out uh, in, well, we're recording this on a Tuesday, so it's uh, about a week away for, for, for us, but maybe by the time um, this airs, it'll be just a couple days out. That sounds really, really cool. Yeah. It's awesome. So I want to shift gears a little bit here. Uh, you mentioned a little bit before um, that uh, with some of your earlier gigs, or maybe it was during the Kobe competition, um, you were still uh, working full-time um, and balancing that with a music career. Is that something that you're still doing? It is. Um, I'm still working full-time. Um, Max knows I'm, I have been working the entire time. I work a full-time job for the city of mm. Seattle. I'm a contract specialist. I'm usually working from 7 to 4 p.m. And there's many times I just get dressed at work. I grab my suitcase, I take an Uber <laughs> down to a club, and I make uh-huh. some one of my uh, band members give me a ride home or Uber home. And sure. I've been doing it. I've been doing it like that for about ten years. Wow, how is it balancing those uh, those two things? Just uh, because it feels like um, a day job like pulls at you time wise uh, away from performances, away from rehearsals and practice and all that, and you know. Uh, as somebody who also works a day job and tries to do the music thing uh, in the evenings, everybody that I want to rehearse with who 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 doesn't work a day job wants to rehearse like at two in the <laughs> afternoon or a Wednesday or something, and, and I can't do that. And is that something you have to uh, contend with as well? Well, you know, I think it's different because I came in with small kids, and so I just only would if I did rehearse I rehearsed with either the pianist or the um guitarist mm. um a I couldn't afford it um I could you know and you know back in the old days people would charge you 75 and 100 dollars for rehearsal um mm-hmm. when I first started and so I would just meet with the piano player and just work it out and we'd work it out at the gig um so a lot of my rehearsals were at the gig. And I also do a lot of private events. Um, and, the, the, you know, those are the best rehearsals you can ever have. You dress up nice, eat some good food, and get paid. So it's yep. uh, uh, <laughs> that's what I do. It, <laughs> yeah, you know, and people love it. So this is the thing. Yeah, is it difficult? Do I realize how crazy it was? Not until the pandemic. Um, mm. Most of the time I was working on four to six hours of sleep a day. Um, and I was up at four 30, either checking emails, doing something on the website, doing something on Twitter, sending Max an email, like doing something. And, um, that's crazy. Uh, so right now I'm really enjoying sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's hard. Um, but it's worth it. I, I, I also work with I had old coworkers. I don't now, but I had coworkers who didn't have a lot of joy in their life. Hmm. And I remember how sometimes I would be admonished. Like if I came in late or something, they're like, Oh, you stayed out late with your friends. And I'd be like, I sure did. 
and I had, <laughs> and I had fun. And I remember, like, actually, there was one job I did for three years where nobody really knew I was a musician for like a year and a half. Wow. Because I knew they were going to either not be happy for me or use it against me. Huh. Um, so it was interesting to be a secretive, <laughs> like a secret on like a musician on the down low. Wow. Um, but then I, you know, went to another job and this woman, Sharon Chu, I can, you know, she came right up to me and she says, oh, we know who you are. And she's like, and we <laughs> see you and we're proud of you and we're watching you. And I was like. Oh, that's I, sweet. It was the it's it one of the sweetest things. I was so grateful, but it was like such a different experience from just going from third floor to the fifty eighth floor, which is literally what I did. Hmm. And then I was like, I told people, I was like, I'm never going back. And I did. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed that you managed to keep it under wraps for a year and a half. People figure figure out that uh, music's a part of me. Like I don't know, a week in. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I had to because because once somebody found out, I the the statement I got was in your what did they used to say? It was almost like an, uh, like they were saying I was a lady of the night. <laughs> you know, it was this weird undertone, and so yeah, it was it was so an odd. it was odd. In your line of work, that's what they used to tell me. Hmm. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a weird way to put that. Really yep. Um, I happen to know there's a great song about this specifically, basically, um, called Lady in the Gown. Oh, my because God. I played it. <laughs> um, we're not going to listen to that today, but God. it exists. And I highly recommend giving it a listen. It's also <laughs> the name of an album. Yes. Um, but I think we are going to listen to something else, if that's okay. That sounds good. Take a little pause for the cause and listen to Crazy He Calls Me. Leave. 
that shakes the boughs. He moves me with a smile, but difficult. I'll do right now, but the impossible is gonna be a while. I say I'll stay forever, and I mean forever. If I have to hold up the sky, crazy calls me. Sure, I'm crazy, crazy in love. You see, Shakes the boughs. He moves me with a smile, but difficult. I'll do right now, but the impossible is gonna be a while. I say you'll stay forever. And I mean forever. If I have to hold up the sky, crazy calls me. Sharp, I'm crazy, crazy in love. What a lovely rendition. Uh, that was really fun. I really like the arrangement on this. Uh, tell me, how did this this arrangement in particular come about? Uh, well, Max was there. Um, so for me, it was um, an Etta Jones version of the song. Not Etta James, Etta Jones. Oh. Um, and it, she's got like vibes back there and she's probably in her late. 60s maybe early 70s when she recorded it and it's just you know that was the first one I heard but 
this one <laughs> was interesting because actually my daughter was in lockdown at school when we recorded this. Do you remember oh, that, Max? I remember this, yep. When we were eating lunch, we were in the studio, we were eating lunch. There's nothing talking, in the news. Nothing. Not a thing. And my phone is just buzzing and I just have to tell them. And I was talking about how my kids' school is always on lockdown. So it was mm-hmm. after school. And so the only thing we could do was record the song. So we recorded that. That take is the only take we took of that song. Wow. Um, so that's about as vulnerable and as raw as I think I could possibly be in the studio. So that's how that song came about is just, is rough. It was really, really a hard thing. And, um, you know, thank goodness I work with professionals who are my friends who support me in my, you know, good and bad moments. So that's, mm. if you hear that, that's, that's me. That's all me. Well, yeah, that's certainly, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, certainly we never, of, uh, yeah, we actually never really heard. She was in lockdown and it was after school and we actually really never got a report back. What hmm. was happening in the FBI was out there too. That's all all of us ever knew about that incident. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly a lot of uh, stress and emotion um, to have to be going through while you're trying to <laughs> be in the moment in a song. But uh, you've certainly brought it. That's that's really cool. Yeah. So I'm curious, uh, you've clearly worked with Max and the rest of the 200 Trio with uh, Cole Schuster and Greg Feingold. Uh, and it's in. I know you work with uh, Marina Alboro uh, quite a lot as well, and you've just worked with a yeah a couple different rhythm sections. How are how are they to work with? How do you decide uh, which rhythm section you're going to work with? Um, and, uh, what do you like about them? I guess. Oh, I so here's the thing. I worked when I worked in the Black Lab Trio was my first band, and I kind of worked with a mini dictator a little bit. Um, who. <laughs> kind of had a lot of like territorial issues. And Uh so when I decided to be a band leader, my, and anybody who plays with me, I have a mission statement. My mission statement is we're going to have fun. Uh We're going to make good music and we're going to make some money. And that's always my goal. So it depends on what kind of feel I want. Um, It depends on if we have a project, like when we had a project, when we were about to record, I constantly worked with all the members of the 200 trio to like tighten us up. Um, Sometimes I want a completely different feel and I do move around. I mean, Bill Anschel calls Mm -hmm. me the Betty Carter of Seattle because I play around. Um, And I do, I never want to get stuck or attached to anything in particular. Um, but what happens is when I play with different configurations, sometimes people don't even know each other. Um, I played with Cole Schuster and Osama Fifi, had mm-hmm. a brilliant concert, and they had never really kind of knew each other, but never played together. And they played so well together. Um, I like to bridge generations together. Um, nice. I like to force, I mean, you know, I was working with. Um, uh, let me say this nicely, different aged people. And mm-hmm. um, I like to merge that together. I feel like. I love that about you, by the way. Uh, what'd you say? I said, I love that about you. That's really cool. I, I didn't appreciate that. 
I, I, for me, I feel um, it's a disservice now that I'm at my age that it would it, to not learn from people who are younger than me. Um, mm. I am fortunate that I got to be in a situation where I worked with five other phenomenal women who just happened to be younger than me. And I learned and grew so much from that experience um, that I try to put that also in my music life. And um, I try to force other people to do the same <laughs> by singing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's but really, I really love cool. playing with everybody and everything is an adventure and sometimes I don't know what's going to happen um, and that's yeah. no 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 and that's the fun Max knows I like to jump in feet first absolutely I was going to just say uh, just kind of as a side question I guess um, you play with guitarists and pianists but is there one that you prefer for certain types of concerts for any reason um you know if there's a piano i if there's a piano available (laughs) (laughs) you know you're you're also like the then they're not so mad when they have to pull out their keyboard um but i mean playing with marina or cole in a duo i'm fine either way um because i through the years we worked all our kinks out and we trust Mm -hmm. each other um would I be more concerned working with another guitarist? I'd probably bring a bass player in. So, or not, or just suffer for three hours and figure it out. And, you know, like, you know, but I play with Marco De Cavallo, who it plays guitar, but plays very quietly. And it's a different component. And him and I have come to terms and we've worked it out. So um, I don't really, I can't say I have a preference. Um, I don't work with anybody I don't like to listen to Hmm. and I don't work and I don't work with anybody I don't like. That's a good rule. rule. (laughs) Um, No, 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 period. That's just, that's, I, I hope I never have to break those rules. That's yeah. They're, they're wonderful rules to, to get to stick to. Uh, So, uh, yeah, you asked this, Josh, because <laughs> I, I know the answer, sort of. Really. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, so COVID has changed things for musicians um, a lot. Um, the performances are, a lot of them are gone or moved to live stream and rehearsal is extremely difficult these days. How, and I know you are performing uh, live stream performances. How are you going about rehearsing with, with your bands as, as you prepare for these? Well, yeah, Max totally knows this. Well, with Marina, it's easy because A, we're bubbling together, and B, she has a mm-hmm. big backyard that's covered. Ah. So, um, in like, the really good point is that Max, Cole, and Greg could social um, distance in my backyard. Cool. It's big. Um, and honestly, I probably won't venture off and work with anybody else but those specific musicians. Sure. Um, Devon might be one of the other people, Lewis, Devon Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I mean, to me, I'm pretty covered. They're all exceptional <laughs> musicians. Um, they're sure. available because there's not too much going on. Um, so that's kind of with rehearsal. And, um, you know, the thing is, if I learn a new tune, most of them know it already. Um, so it's not, it's, you know, it's me having <laughs> to learn it and figure out my stuff. 
sometimes I'll get um, a file like a um, like Greg. I just did um, feeling good with just me and Greg Feingold on bass, mm-hmm. and so he just sent me a loop so I could practice. Cool. Um, um, but that's it's almost normal to me because I couldn't do standard rehearsals because I have a day job and I got three kids. Ah, interesting. So I've been yeah. working around this. This is my normal. Yeah, yeah. So rehearsing outdoors is a great strategy right now when it's relatively sunny out. Uh, any thoughts to what that's going to look like in the winter when the rains come? Um, I have a carport and there my neighbor has a space heater. Oh, that's really nice. It's nice to have that <laughs> strategy. Yeah, I've got a I just bought a 10 foot by 10 foot canopy that I can put outside uh there you go and and, then hang out with people under that we'll see we'll see Mm -hmm. how my fingers hold up in the cold when it's uh you know yeah degrees out (sighs) it reminds me of the sax pair i used to know in boston this is just a total side story for a second but yes he uh he came from serbia he's probably the most brilliant naturally talented musician i've ever heard Uh, because he played any instrument i mean you could throw at him I mean, he was a tenor sax player, all the reeds, clarinet and everything, played trumpet, trombone, bass, drums, piano, guitar, like oh, anything. Awful. Like <laughs> total savant at everything. But he blew through all of his money very quickly on things that we won't talk about at the moment. Uh, this is in college, but he ended up playing on the street for money uh, to support himself. And in Boston, the winter was like, hard you know it's snowing and it's maybe like six degrees or so, or so before the wind chill some days and he would be out there with the saxophone just playing oh. like totally tearing it up but every day he was just out there playing in the snow and uh that's how he <laughs> so he survived uh, so it could be worse i that don't understand how anybody could do that that's amazing i don't either i mean you're i feel like your saxophone would like freeze or, i don't know <laughs> yeah also like a wet reed too how is that not freezing i don't know yikes huh. anyway um he's doing better these days i've heard good that's great yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man so i'm curious what does your jacqueline what does your practice routine look like uh you mentioned that you're uh rehearsing with marina um every week uh-uh. what what kinds of stuff do you work on do you do warm-ups together exercises or are you just experimenting with new stuff well, I'm kind of a horrible parent. I um, cook and I put on my la, 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 and you know, my kids and I'm with my headphones on super loud. Um, <laughs> I walk once or twice a day in my neighborhood and put my headphones on and sing while I walk up the hill. Mm-hmm. Um when I was in the gym, I would do cardio to like John Coltrane and like try to figure out where the one was or, um, or if it was like a new song, I would just listen to it over and over again. Um, if I was at work or on the bus, I'd just work it out. It's a, I'm actually experiencing probably what everybody else has been experiencing for the last two years is when I'm getting to rehearse and be in my studio now mm-hmm. and work things out. So I'm, you know, I I'm I feel you will probably hear, hear a black woman say this 
but you're going to hear it today. I'm very privileged right now in my situation. Mm. Um, I'm getting to harness my craft. I'm getting to spend time with my kids. I'm getting to cook two or three times a day. I get to stay in my neighborhood. I get to work from home. Um, and I'm working on great music and great projects. So, um, yeah, I'm rehearsing like all day long and my kids are sick of me, but that's all right. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. You've had a couple of live streams with Town Hall slash Earshot. I know that we just actually recorded a really cool little concert that will be coming out at some point. Yeah. Um, what else do you have on the books coming up? So um, on the, it's actually October 8th at 6 p.m. will be the Bellevue Jazz Festival. Um, okay. And that's going to be the second, um, I don't know what we want to call it, the second version <laughs> of Don't Explain with me and Marina Albero. Um, and then October Oh my goodness. October 7th at 7.30, I will, this is where me and the 200 trio for the Within Earshot um, lineup um, that was at this beautiful museum in Bainbridge, and that will be online. Um, And then October 15th, we will be doing a sample of the second phase of the quarantine sessions. And I am very proud to be in the midst of um, the brainchild of Marina Albero. Um, This project is a women led um, project and we've been fortunate to have been bestowed some blessings from above and we will have um, Dates coming out soon of at Block 41, which is located actually not very far from Tula's in Belltown. Um, oh. And the piano that is usually at Teatro Zanzani is mm. being housed in this space. Um, oh. uh, we're working with a wonderful company called Kind and Company. They actually are in my neighborhood and they usually do virtual events, but they are helping and assisting with the backdrops and the settings. Um, they are also a woman minority owned business. And um, so myself, Marina Alberto, um, Adriana Giordano and mm-hmm. um, Hava Merrell, we're um, kind of the original four and um, we're continuing on with this whole project. And we don't really know. We're kind of treating it with the residency model. And um, there's more to come. Website should be up very soon. The Facebook is active. Um, this thing has reached uh, national claim from New York to LA Times. And, um, Exciting. you know, I'm just very humbled, honestly, to be in the midst of working with women Um with such intelligence and integrity. And I love that we're leading this project with, um, our heart first and um, just allowing things to naturally progress. That's it's cool. so cool that this is happening. It, yeah. it, I, oh, I'm my. also really impressed that you're, you've got such a full performance care, uh, calendar in, in <laughs> during COVID of all times. That's true. I, 
If only you could see me turtling right now, totally turtling in my shell right now. Um, that, that again, I'm going back to that, you know, the P word. I'm, I'm a little bit privileged and I'm humbled. And, you know, some days I'll be honest, I'm super excited and I can wake up and just like, you know, sing on the top of the hills. And some days I feel very guilty and, you know, everything else. And then I had to remind myself, like, I was the one getting up at 4.30 in the morning and being at the work at 6.30 in the morning and being at the gig by 7.30 and doing it all over again. So I've sacrificed and worked hard. And I'm so appreciative that the universe decided to give me all these opportunities. And I plan on not wasting them. That's Absolutely. really, really great. Well, uh, yeah, just really fast to recap what you just said. If people want to find those things... They can look up the quarantine sessions. Quarantine sessions. We always we are also utilizing um, our acronym as any good Seattleite was. So you can look up QTS as well. We think it's slick and cool, and thank goodness it doesn't mean anything crazy. Um, but yes, the quarantine sessions. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram, and the site should be up in the next couple of days. Wonderful. And then if they want to find out more about you. You, have a you can find me at www.taberjazz.com on the gram, on the Twitter, everything. You can find me. I'm always there. If you get bored, just look up Max and you can find me. From there. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yep, that's true. That's wonderful. So that's about all we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your wonderful music. We are super looking forward to getting to hear uh, more of your music coming up at live streams very soon. And for all of you uh, listeners, thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Jazz Talk Seattle. And uh, if you want to hear more of these podcast episodes, you can look us up on iTunes, SoundCloud, Facebook, anywhere you get your regular podcasts.